Okay, let's pray before we get started. Father, we praise you. We praise your name. We praise you for the scripture. We praise you for all that you do. And yes, Lord, it is true that as we get to the end of the age, there are so many things that come against you, Lord, and they will have as much chance as anything else, which is no chance, Lord, because you are great and over everything. And we praise you for your power, for your glory, Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We love you. You were, you are, you are to come. You are everything, Lord. And we look to you as we read your scripture that we might know you more and know how to behave, know how to walk as Christ followers in you day by day, growing and growing. In your name, amen. So I had to leave us last time. Um, I was trying to get through 14 verses. I got through two. So we're going to give it a shot here. We're going to go back to the beginning of 1 Peter 3. Uh, and look at verse 1 and 2 for a second. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. You know, so remember, we talked about this word more like reverence, um, uh, you know, the kind of thing that we would give to somebody to honor one another, right? And so uh, we talked about what that was. We talked about likewise, and we went back and we, and we showed the other places as, as the Holy Spirit is inspiring Peter to write uh, about all the different places where we submit. We submit to authorities. We submit to our, our, master, our earthly masters. We submit to our husbands here in this case. And then we got into Ephesians 5, 21 through 33 to sort of get through some of the background uh, that Paul wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit concerning this very thing and sort of expanding upon it. So I'm going to pick that up because that's where we kind of ended last time at verse 21. And at verse 21, it says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So it, we had all these submissions, but one of the ones that we have is the submission to one another. That would suggest that that's not just wives to husbands, that is everyone, uh, let's see if I can spell, every, every, come on, David. I went to college, I promise, every one to everyone, right? Submit to one another in the fear of God, same thing, right? Your chaste conduct with fear, our fear. So we're supposed to submit and revere, reverence, honor everyone, everyone. If someone is going around acting like or, or uh, asking for a greater honor than is due to them, that's not good. In the same way, you should not walk around thinking that you deserve no honor. You're made in the image and likeness of God. If you're in Christ, you're his child. And so we should be honoring, outdoing one another in honoring and submitting to one another. That's what we're called to do. And so here we have it. This isn't just to one person. This is to all of us submit to one another. So as we looked at, okay, in this context of marriage, the wife is submitting to the husband, and we go through this whole thing. Uh, let me get to, uh, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be sub subject to their own husbands and everything. And then we had the husbands love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So we had these two things going. Wives are to submit to their husbands, right? But first we saw that Christ right? Jesus is submitting to the Father, and the church is submitting to Jesus, and wives are submitting to their husbands, and husbands are submitting to, the, to Christ, to the church, to all these things. There's this, there's, this whole, there's this whole dance going on, 
And in certain roles in our lives, we have certain roles that we have to perform. One of those is submission. So we have the, in the marriage, it's supposed to look like Christ in the church. Christ loves the church. Christ dies for the church. Christ gives himself up day by day for the church. Christ washes feet. Okay? For those of you who are husbands out there, and you go, oh, my wife has to submit to me? And you think, hmm, good. You're sort of missing this whole other part here that gives you a responsibility that is extremely significant. You want her to submit to you? Are you certain that you're treating her right now as Christ would treat the church? Are you certain that you're acting like Jesus right now? Because that's your, if you're going to worry about her doing her job and submitting to you, have you worried about your job in being like Jesus, right? That's the, that's the place. Now, wives are thinking to themselves, oh, good, unless he acts like Jesus, I don't have to submit. <laughs> it's not what it says. It's not what it says in the context in chapter 2 right before this is obviously, it talks about masters, even harsh masters, Right? So each one of you, this is what we often do, I think, in marriage and in relationships in general. I will do what he does, or I will do what she does. As soon as she starts doing this, I'll start doing this, right? Or in a, in a relationship, well, I'll treat my boss with respect when he treats me with respect. And we do this kind of a thing. It's not quid pro quo. These are not things that you don't have to do unless this person does. These are calls to you. It does not, nowhere in there to say, husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, if right? Oops. Or if, submit to your husbands and everything, if, and then we fill in like, they're doing all the stuff perfectly that they're supposed to do. It's classic like when you get called out for something. Somebody says, hey, you really should be doing this. You're not perfect either. That's true. What does that have to do with the fact that you shouldn't be doing this thing? We're responsible for ourselves and for our own calling here, okay? And so we get a little bit more. What is Christ doing with the church? That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, as a husband, if you're a husband in the room, what are you doing in terms of loving your wife? Well, I would think something very similar to this. You are preparing your wife to meet Christ. You are preparing her. You are giving of yourself to her, sacrificially, to prepare her to meet Christ. That means that you have to be, in your home, the spiritual leader. You have to be the spiritual leader. Now, some people go, well, my wife, she's been a Christian a lot longer than me. She knows the Bible better than me, and all, all those kinds of things. You know what? That's not, just that is not what makes you a spiritual leader. Yes, you should read the Bible. You should know the scriptures. You should do all that kind of stuff. But it's about the way you live. It's about having integrity. It's about having honesty. It's about doing the right thing every time, even when it hurts. And it's about encouraging and exhorting your wife to do the same. By example, not do as I say, not as I do. Right? And so as you do this, as you, as you go through your marriage, and, and as you're walking forward day by day, year by year, you are preparing your wife to meet Jesus. Now, there is a definite way in which your wife is also preparing you to meet Jesus. That's why she says things like, I wouldn't do that, right? You probably, if you're a husband, you've probably heard that. I wouldn't wear that. <laughs> so that okay, that one hit more. All right. But like, I, I don't know that I'd make that decision, you know, or I need you to man up here. I'll tell you just a quick story. 
This is for the young men. This is for these two. Tell your boys to listen to this, Brandy. This is, this is what it looks like to be a man. So yesterday I was working, doing some stuff in the backyard because my wife and I are trying to clean up our backyard. And we have this like, uh, like a fence with like hog wire. If you know what hog wire is, it's like these thick metal. Anyway, I'm picking it up and I, oop, and I, my, the hog wire goes through this side of my finger and out this side, just on the side. So I've got like a poke through. It hurt. I had to go inside and I had to go get an X-Acto knife get my cigar lighter, burn that thing to make sure it's good, and then I had to cut between the two things so that it would drain properly. I didn't want to get tetanus or whatever, right? And so, just so you boys know, that's what it looks like to be a man, all right? <laughs> I didn't complain to my wife. I didn't whine about it. I just went in there, I got a knife, and I cut my finger open so it could bleed out, and then I put it in alcohol and just sat it there, okay? Man stuff, all right? <laughs> That's right. There are things that a man is called to do. Hard things sometimes, right? There are things that a man is called to do. There are things that a woman is called to do. If that happens to a woman, she, a woman would probably be like, that's nothing. I had babies, so I'll cut my whole finger off. I don't care. But we like to act like we're tough, like, like we can handle pain. We can't handle anything compared to them. But the point is, is that there are roles, right? There are roles. And she, my wife, if I had come in and go, oh, honey, my finger, my finger hurts. She'd been like, be a man. You've seen the Godfather. You could act like a man, right? Slap me across the face. Right. My wife helps me to be a man. She helps me to be a better man. I help her to be a better woman. And there are lots of ways in which we're preparing each other to meet Christ. But there's a very specific way here in which you as a husband are preparing your wife to meet Christ. As Christ prepares the church for himself, right? That she might be holy without blemish. He's transforming us. He's sanctifying us as his church. And we also, as husbands, should do the same. So, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. This is an interesting thing here, because people will say, I hate myself. No one hates their own flesh. We're just, that's just not part of our makeup. We do love ourselves. We do try to make ourselves comfortable. We do try to, to do it. Now, we may, we may discipline ourselves, but that's not because we hate our flesh. It's because we love our flesh, and we want it to be better, right? So the, if you're going to the gym every day and working really hard, you're not doing that to punish yourself. You're doing that so that you can be healthier, so that you can enjoy your, the body you're in better, right? We love our bodies, and we're to love our wives as much as we love our own bodies. So if we're taking care of ourselves and not thinking about taking care of our wives, we're not doing this. We're not doing this. We're to nourish and cherish our wives. You've probably heard the, I don't know how many people still do the vows, the old school vows in their weddings. A lot of people like write their own thing and they're like, I want to make Rice Krispie treats with you until the day we die, <laughs> unless I get mad and then I'm going to go somewhere, you know, just whatever people do. And they'll say things like, not tell death to his part, but like, as long as it really makes sense, you know, or whatever. You see this crazy stuff, right? But to love and to cherish, that's, there you go. And you wonder where those things are from. Well, they're from here. You are to love and to cherish, to love, nourish, and cherish. Now, nourish, obviously, you should feed your family, men. I'm, that's, but that's not what I'm, we're dealing with here. You're to give her what she needs, 
You cannot think of your home as the place where you do your thing and she is sort of there to sort of take care of stuff, right? Well, she always cleans the clothes and she washes the dishes. I mean, you can't think like that. It may be true that she does that and those are very important things. But you're to nourish her. What does she need? How did God make her? Are you always favoring your, yourself and what you feel that you should be doing over her or what she feels that she should be doing? Do you get all the things that you want and never ask her whether she has things that she wants? Do you guys go the places that you want and every time you say, hey, honey, can we go do this? She says, yes. But then when she says, hey, will you go do this with me? You go, I'm tired. Are you nourishing her? Does she feel nourished? Does she feel like when I have a need, he meets my need? Because nourishing and cherishing, they're pretty close together. Cherish, it just, it just ha- like I don't have to explain it. You know what it means to cherish. You should cherish. She should feel cherished. It's a weird word that I say it. Cherish. Cherish. It's kind of a weird word. Anyway, your wife should feel cherished by you. And if she doesn't feel cherished by you, as the Lord cherishes the church, you know that he cherishes us. We are the apple of his eye. It was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, says the scripture. Despising the shame. What was the joy? Us. He cherishes us. You should be seeing your wife like that. But she's not nice to me. I don't care. Maybe because you don't cherish her. Very few people who are treated as Christ treats the church are not going to respond in a positive way. And so if you have a problem in your home, I will just tell you, I've done marriage counseling, I've, I've been married, I know lots of married couples, I will tell you that if you have a problem in your home, it is very possible, if not likely, that it starts with you, husbands. That you are not leading. You are not leading the way you should lead. And that's what's led to this thing that's caused the problem. And you think, no, it's all her. And sometimes, to be fair, it is all her, okay? There are, there are times when that happens and somebody does the right thing, obviously that can happen. But so often, the question I have to ask the husband is, what are you doing? Are you moving first? You are always the first mover, husband. That's your job. Yes, wife has to submit. Yes, great. That's what the Bible says. But you are to love like Jesus. You are to be the first mover. We love him because what? He first loved us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's always Christ moving in love first. And so husbands, yes, wives are to submit to their husbands, but husbands are to move first all the time. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And so this is, just as, not an aside, but because it's here in the scripture, we have this, this is, I believe, the third time that we have a reference back to uh, Genesis 2 where God lays this down. And so, just as an aside, for those of you who, who struggle with sort of the modern ideas of what people are now calling marriage, this is it. This is all it is. This is all it ever should be. This is what it was designed to be. That a man shall leave his father and mother. If you're a young man and you call mom a lot, instead of talking to your wife, not great. Leave your father and mother, be joined to your wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is what marriage is. There is no other place 
where it talks about any other kind of marriage. Okay? It doesn't exist. So people who talk about marriage and use the word marriage for anything describing anything other than this, they're wrong. Just out of, God gets to decide what marriage is. He did decide it. He says it in Genesis 2. The Lord Jesus repeats it. And then here again, we have it repeated by Paul through the, through the Holy Spirit in Ephesians. Okay? Uh, we're just going to move past that. I hope you understand that. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So what he's saying is that, look, this thing that I'm telling you about husbands and wives and submission and love and this mutual, this, this thing that's going back and forth, this is a great mystery. This is spiritual. This is beyond just simple instructions for you. There's something happening here. And he's speaking about Christ and the church. To understand who you are in Christ's church, being in a marriage can help with that if you do that correctly. Now, you don't have to be in a marriage. You could be single. Guess who was single? The guy who wrote this. So you could be single. You don't have to be in that. But as you think about marriage, or if you are in a marriage, you've got to think about how this mirrors, this is like Christ and the church. It's a mystery. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. So not just love your neighbor as yourself. You've got to love your wife as yourself. But it didn't say wife. It said neighbor. She lives in my house. No. You have to love your wife as yourself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. I have seen this sort of issue. I think I have a good understanding of why he has to say both this and this. That you're to love your own wife and that she's to respect her husband. You gotta love them like your own body. And a lot of men have a hard time doing that. They'll say something like, uh, she knows I love her. I told her once, right? <laughs> She'll say something like, I love him, but I wish he wouldn't, and then go on. You've got to love your wife like your own body, and, and, and ladies, wives, don't talk to your husband or about your husband to others with disrespect. Don't do it. One of the things that makes a marriage strong is being able to trust that you support one another as to the world. Right? You have your relationship with the Lord. You have your relationship with your spouse. The two of you have your relationship with the Lord. And as to everybody else in the world, including the kids, the kids try to break this down early, right? What do I want to do? Okay, dad's more likely to let me do that. I'll go to him. Mom's more likely to let me do that. Or I'll go to dad. He'll say no. Then I'll go to mom. Not tell mom that dad already said no. And then she'll say yes, and then I'll be like, mom said yes, right? And then the two of them have that. you got to be together as the world. That means you cannot talk. And this goes for husbands too, obviously. But I don't think husbands have as much problem with this. I, I, I don't hear nearly the complaints about people's wives as you hear about people's husbands. What does it look like to respect? Well, that's something to think about because men need respect. Of course they need love, but wives don't have a hard time loving, loving their husbands. Yeah, I love him. I just wish he didn't smell like that. You know? <laughs> it's part of being a man, ladies. You know? It's, it's just a thing. Uh, and men are like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I love her. Like, I, I pay attention to her. Something. Like Valentine's Day. 
if your biggest thing in, in life, like if you have to wait for a Valentine's Day or your birthday or your anniversary or something, and that's when you feel cherished and loved and that's the only time you feel it, husbands, you're screwing up. We barely do. And I'm not saying, I mean, enjoy those things. If you're into those things and you like the, the greeting card holidays and the anniversaries, there's nothing wrong with that. But I would say that you should be thinking every day like that. I'm not saying go buy chocolates and a teddy bear every day. I'm saying treat your wife like it was Valentine's Day or, or your anniversary every day. And then she won't care nearly as much about Valentine's Day or her anniversary because she feels loved all the time. All the time. And that's what you need to do as a husband. All right, so we go on in 1 Peter. We're going to talk about... Well, we're going back to 1 Peter now. Yes, we were in Ephesians. I'm done with that part. We're back now to 1 Peter. I'm going to continue where we were, starting in verse 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. The first thing I want to mention here is that the word incorruptible also kind of means it means imperishable. It does not fade away. And so what we have here is we have this, this uh, verse, uh, these couple verses here, and what they're saying is don't focus on the outward, the perishable, that which fades away. Focus on the inward, the inward, the hidden person of the heart, a gentle and quiet spirit. Proverbs 31, which is this amazing chapter, if you haven't read it, about sort of the godly woman. And, and at the end of the chapter, the last two verses says, charm is deceitful, and it is. And beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. You've got Charm being deceitful, and you've got beauty, which is passing. Now, any of us that have aged past whatever, I don't know how long people, you know, before the wrinkling and the sagging and all that we've got going on in our bodies, uh, it's reality, okay? It's, we, we, beauty is passing. We are not going to be looking the same as we did when we were young when we're old. Beauty is on a downward. Beauty is on a downward, if you have a graph. It's going down and to the right. It's just the way it is. How do I know? It says it right here. I'm not talking about anybody individually here. You're all so beautiful. That's, uh, that's what you care about. But this is, this is a reality. Beauty is passing. It gets worse every day. That's just basically the bottom, bottom line. Once you get past a certain age, you're on your way down. And so what you could be tempted to do is try not to let that happen and spend an inordinate amount of time trying to still look like you were 17, right? Everybody, every young girl who's 12 reads 17 magazine. It's not for 17-year-olds. It's for 12-year-olds, right? They all want to be 17. And then you get to be about 30, and now all of a sudden you want to be 17 again too. Because you're like, those were, man, my body worked, right? Maybe not 17. Right? But people, are, people start to spend an awful lot of time trying to make themselves look young. And there are some pretty scary-looking results of that that I've seen. Okay? And you have too. Right? 
And you're like, how many facelifts is that? Like, where are you putting all that skin, right? <laughs> you're 95 years old. Just stop. It's okay. And he's like, mm. you know, you know what I'm talking about. Guys do it too. Guys do it too. They're, they're trying to keep beauty. Why? They've overvalued it. They've overvalued it. You've got so much time in your day, okay? There are people who spend a small amount of time in the morning getting ready. They want their body to be clean. They want to look reasonable. There are people who spend an awful lot of time. They want their body to look a very certain way and their face to look a very certain way, their hair to look a very certain way. And here, and here we have it, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. So they would, they would braid their hair in all these ways and they put gold in it and they'd have this really nice clothes and they'd go out, you know, just like now, where some people spend, you can tell, this person spent a lot of time on the way they look and they do that every day. Now, if you put that same amount of time into the inner person, right, into, into your heart, a gentle and quiet spirit, at the end of the day, you're going to be much better. And why is that? Because as your beauty goes, your outward beauty, these bodies that are fading away, the sinful world and our flesh that's dying, as that goes down this way, your inner beauty has the opportunity to actually grow every day. While you're losing this, and you can do nothing about it. And you, like, again, you've seen what happens when people try to do something about it. They can get pretty rough. You can do nothing about this, but you can do something about this. So where are you going to put your effort? Where's your effort going to be? Is your effort going to be constantly on beauty and how you look outwardly? Or is your effort going to be constantly on inward? How am I changing? How am I becoming more like Jesus? How am I having this gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And by the way, men who love God, it is very precious in their sight too. When you go fishing, some of you have been fishing before, or Buff goes hunting. Let's talk about hunting. If he goes out to hunt elk, he does some weird thing that he does, you know, to try to draw the elk. In. Like he's a girl elk who's interested. You know what I'm saying? Why you would learn that and go out in the forest and do it, I don't know. But that's what he does because elk tastes good, I guess. I don't know. I go to the grocery store and buy meat. It's fine. Don't have to shoot it or anything. He, he goes out there and goes, but if, if he goes out there with a duck call, it's not going to draw an elk in, is it? You got to have the right bait to catch the right thing. Now, if you, ladies, if you're unmarried, listen to me. Please, if you are going out and primarily focusing on outward beauty, you are likely to catch men who are primarily focused on outward beauty. If you go out and you're primarily focused on the inner person, on that beauty that does not pass away, the beauty that you'll have all the way through eternity, the beauty that's going up and to the right, you will catch men who value God because that's what he finds very precious and that's what they find very precious. That's a reality. That's a reality. 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 10. I desire, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting 
in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. That's what's proper for women professing godliness. Now, you might be saying, well, I have pearls. Don't get, don't get lost here. There, there are people who made a big thing of the way they looked. It's okay to want to look nice. I'm not saying you should not care at all about how you look. I want every woman in here to just have dreadlocks so they don't wash their hair in seven months and just like, no, that's not what the scripture is saying. In fact, when we looked back at this verse, it said what? Don't let your adornment be merely outward. So you can have some outward adornment. There's nothing wrong with that. I wear, uh, you know, a necklace. I have earrings. I, I like my hair to look nice. I wear clothes that are clean and look nice. That's fine. The question is, how much time are you giving to it? How, how important is it? How focused on it are you? And then, of course, we have this modest apparel. Not always what's going on. We have a very, very broken world. And in that very, very broken world, we have very, very broken men who have done everything in their power to convince women that the most important thing about them is their sexuality, is their body. And so if you go to the store, I mean, I've had women tell me, I can't even, you can't even buy a regular shirt anymore. Or you can't even buy regular old mom jeans. You know what I'm saying? Like just the regular jeans that now, now we're like, oh, that's not cool. You know, you got to wear the ones that are like, what's up, everybody? How you doing? Right? You got the super tight shirt. Hey. That's crazy. Why? Because gross men have told women, if you want to be happy, be liked for your body. Sick. It's men primarily. Sometimes women get into this themselves, but it's men primarily who look at people as things. Now, if you go around immodestly, without propriety and moderation, what you are saying to the world is, I'm a thing. I'm a thing for you to look at. I'm, I'm a thing for you to lust at. And I understand that most women do not understand that. They're just trying to make it in the world, in a world that's been totally twisted and broken by this stuff. I get it. I get it. But I'm telling you that the Lord is clear in the scripture that you're addressed modestly. It says with propriety. With propriety. So in Hebrews 12, 28, we have that same word used here. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. What's propriety? Well, this is the same Greek word right here. Reverence. Reverence for God. So when it says, come on, when it says modest prayer with propriety, it's reverence. When you get dressed in the morning, when you get ready to go, think about God first. Does this revere and reverence God? Is this honoring the body that he gave me? Or is this using it as a thing? You are not things. Don't let anybody tell you that you are. Don't believe it. And don't dress like you are. Because, sisters, you're not things. 
You're not things. Yes, being a, being a woman, there's beauty, there's glory in that, there's all the kinds of things. There's nothing wrong with, being, with wanting to be beautiful and things like that. That's not, that's not a bad thing to desire to be beautiful and so on. The question again is how much time do you put in it? And are you, are you first reverencing God? And then it says in moderation, in moderation. This is an interesting, interesting word. Um, Acts 26, 24 through 25. Now, as he thus made his defense, this is Paul before Festus, okay? He's making a defense before Festus. He's been arrested. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. You crazy, is what he's saying. You're so, you've gotten so smart, you've read all these books, because Paul was, you know, he was the scholar, okay? He, he knew the Greek, he knew the Hebrew, he was, you know, and so Festus is like, dude, you're crazy. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. This word here, same Greek word as this word here. Moderation. It also, it means something kind of like, like sobriety is what Strong's uh, would say. Sobriety. So what are we doing? We're, we're addressing modestly, with propriety, reverence for, for God, for ourselves, made in the image and likeness of God, and soberly, reasonably. What does reason say? Well, well, I can use my reason and read the scripture and see right here from the very beginning in Genesis 1 that I was made in his image and likeness. I can look all the way through and look at how Jesus treats women, how Paul treats women, how valuable women are. I can look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. How did she live? I can look at all these kinds of things, and then I can say, if I'm going to use reason and reason from that to how I should be, I should be reasonable. And the way, and the amount of time I put into this, and in the way that I'm going out and how I'm looking. That's what we've got. That's what he's saying. So, be reasonable, sober, self-controlled, soundness of mind. Those are all part of the strongest definition of that word. Be reasonable with what you know of the scripture and adorn yourself accordingly. Have a sober mind. Think about it. Don't just do what everybody else does. Don't just do what you think will be attractive. And, and I want to warn you this. We're running out of time here. I want to warn ladies this. I, I have wondered about this for a very long time. When women dress in particular ways. And I think to myself, don't they know? And the answer I've kind of gotten back is a lot of them don't. A lot of them don't realize what's going on. Like... Well, everybody's dressed like this. Everybody's wearing this kind of stuff and whatever. The fact is, is that if your clothes are accentuating your body in some way, you are making yourself fodder for men who don't have self-control to think about you in ways that you don't want to be thought about. That's a reality. And, and people go, well, that's their problem. Yes, it's their problem. I agree. But you're the one who is also playing into that. I should be able to wear whatever I want. You should be able to control yourself. Okay, true, I guess. I should be able to walk around naked and nobody should be able to, come on. Where does it end, right? What does the scripture say? Have some modesty. Have some modesty. We are trying to have the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. That's what we're looking for. And so many of you, just so you know, I really find that in. 
we don't have a lot of issues with uh, people trying to be overly fancy here at Axe Church. As I'm sitting here in a jean jacket and a... It's not our thing here, right? But I, but I want you... I don't know what everybody dresses like when they're not here. And so I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Loving the Lord and, and loving yourself properly involves modesty, propriety, or reverence, moderation, or reason, soberness. That's how you live like a true daughter of God, with beauty that doesn't fade, but rather grows. Grows stronger every day that you follow God with your whole heart. I'm going to have to leave it there. We got nowhere. (laughs) That's okay. I think we got through two more verses, I think. So um, I'm going to leave it there because we're going to do communion.